Hello and welcome to the next episode of Lost in Criterion. I'm John Patrick Oatari Dorgan, and with me, as always, is a man who should learn how to fucking tackle. <laughs> I am the Adam class, and I'm sorry. I just, I never went to tackle school. Yeah, well, you know, uh, who, who has, right? And, w- and with the state of tackle schools these days, would it even matter? No, not really. It's all They've for all, profit. I mean, there's no, yeah. there's no educational yeah. support at all. Fucking the, you get all that into, matters is the fucking business department, you know. You, you get into $100,000 worth of debt, and you still don't know how to tackle. Before we talk about our movie this week, I do want to talk about our Patreon. It's patreon.com slash lost in criterion. Over there for just a dollar a month, you can help keep us going and get access to some bonus content. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, we watch a non criterion film over there every month, and our supporters get to but vote on what movie tell? we're going to watch. Am I right? But who can tell that it's not a criterion yeah, movie? I mean, other than looking at the uh, list, I mean, you know. I mean, generally, we we do try to have a pretty eclectic mix of stuff over there, and sometimes it ends up being stuff that could be in the Criterion Collection. Once it has ended up being a thing that was later in the Criterion Collection. Uh, That seemed like a fluke, though. I mean, I'm not implying that they won't end, everything won't end up in the Criterion Collection. I firmly believe that it will. Um, But on the flip side, the one that got in was not like a particularly amazing movie. Yeah, it probably it get, I'm saying it been. didn't get in on the strengths of its own merit. Right. I I said this when we watched it and I I will say it again uh and I've said it multiple times since we've watched well, it. Well, I mean cuz we do this uh, intro fail, a lot. Yeah. Fail safe should be an extra feature on the Doctor Strange Love DVD, not its own yeah, standalone I mean, it's an release. Yeah, oversight is basically. I mean they we we didn't <laughs> yeah. have the we did not have the rights when we needed them, so yeah. god damn it, we're gonna do it now. Yeah. Anyway, uh, that failsafe is the only movie we've covered that later got added to the Criterion Collection so far. I mean, it uh, is only a matter of time. But it is only a matter of time before uh, kicking and screaming is added. The the Will Ferrell kickings when kick. Criterion Collection is going to start its own sub-label where it releases movies <laughs> that share titles with do. other... It'll yeah. make it easy yeah. to do yeah. after that. Absolutely. Absolutely. It'll be kicking... Will Ferrell's kicking and screaming. Uh, uh, Mel Gibson's The River. Just all all those terrible movies. Yep. Um, but yeah. Uh, we do have fun over there. We've, we've watched a lot, of, a lot of weird stuff, a lot of bad stuff, some good stuff. Uh, no, I a mean, lot of good I stuff, think actually. we Most, we mostly tend good to stuff. err more on the good stuff side than the bad stuff side. We I do, say. we do. Even even in the Patreon, we don't want to be a bad movie podcast. No, We've I've never, never wanted been to be a bad interested movie in that, podcast. except for Christmas. Yeah. Except for Christmas, Christmas deserves oh, what I, it gets. Is all I can say. All the one dollar mark, you get access to that entire back catalog of episodes. There's over sixty right now, 
and you get to vote on what we're going to watch next. And you can get our ear to suggest movies for or lists for future votes. And if that happens, we like to get the person who suggested it on air with us because it's really fun to talk with somebody about a movie they really love. Uh, yeah, it is. Yeah, you're right. It just is. Yeah, I am right. Uh, thanks for affirming me. You know I live for your affirmation. I, I have been trying uh, to do a better job of that because I know how important it is to you. Thank you. Thank you. Uh Next tier, a little above that for folks who can afford it and want to help keep us going a little more, is at $5. And what do they get? Well, they get everything from the $1 tier, plus we thank them on air. And a tote bag. Thank you so much. There is no tote bag. Do not promise a tote bag again. God damn it. Why not? Why is there no tote bag? (laughs) I just got out of small claims court for the last (laughs) tote bag incident. (laughs) Thank you so much to our $5 supporters. Currently, Stephen Goldmeyer, Eric Coronado, Chris Otto and Andrew Jarrett. A bit above that, we do something pretty dang special. Pat makes a piece of art every month based on one of the movies we watched recently. I get that printed up on a postcard and write a little personalized thank you note, mailing that off each month. To our $10 and above supporters, we also like to thank them on air. Thank you so much to Adam Speakerman, Tracy McGrath, Nina Bojnak, Patrick Yako, and Jason Westhaver, our $10 and above supporters. If you want to see those postcards without committing to that $10 mark, Head over to redbubble.com. You can see past postcards. You can buy them as postcards, greeting cards, uh, some as buttons, most as stickers, and you can help keep us going through that as well. Thank you to everyone who has bought something from Redbubble. Thank you to everyone who supports us on our Patreon, and thank you for listening. Yes, thank you, all of you. Pat, this week we are, uh, (laughs) unbeknownst to you, on our second-to-last movie in the BBS box set. Uh, I was so Pat jazzed, forgot that man. there's a one more. No, America no. Lost and Found, the BBS story. We have uh, we have spent the last five weeks now with watching Head, Easy Rider, Five Easy Pieces, Drive. He said, and A Safe Place last week. Uh, so far for us, Head and A Safe Place have been standouts. Uh, but this week we're talking about uh, one from a director we haven't seen yet in the set. The Last Picture Show, directed by Peter Bogdanovic. Directed by the only person in the entire set who knows how to direct. <laughs> oh, come on. I mean, also, yes, but... I think I'm uh, fairly accurate on this, but even then, kind of only sort of knows how to direct because he doesn't know what a goddamn fucking master is. <laughs> Bogdanovic is an, is an interesting guy. Uh, last week, we watched a bonus feature with an interview with him in which Pat referred to him as the most pretentious person. I mean, he, 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 it's hold, it holds up. And, and it does, uh, but I don't remember if it was on air or not, but I did suggest that Pat look up a current picture of Peter Bogdanovich because the man has leaned into being the most pretentious person yeah, alive. Yeah, I mean, and like, good for him, you know? I mean, yeah, I, I support really going heavy on like whatever yeah. it is that makes... You you sort of feel as yeah. your so, thing. Um, we uh, with with even with the bonus features of this week's, we haven't made it to the point where Bogdanovich started wearing an ascot every day. No, uh, which is kind which, of a letdown. Which, I'm, I'm gonna be I'm gonna be honest yeah. here. Really, really adds to his level of retention in a in a fun way. Uh, but uh, this movie is based off the novel of the same name by Larry McMurtry. 
which was semi-autobiographical. McMurtry wrote about his hometown. I mean, Archer the people City, of Texas. Archer City would beg to differ, but yeah. <laughs> some of the some of the people of Archer City would beg to differ. Uh, but uh, but yeah, McMurtry then also helped uh, helped write the script along with Bogdanovich and Bogdanovich's current partner, who is unlisted on the screenplay on Wikipedia at least. Uh, but Polly Plate is someone I do want to talk about. Uh, she shows up in one of the bonus features here. Uh, Polly Platt is a very interesting person in that. New Hollywood, in as much as it might be BBS's fault, New Hollywood is also Polly Platt's fault. Okay. Uh, Polly Platt was the production designer on this, but she also continued to work with Bagdanovich, uh, was production designer for What's Up Doc and Paper Moon, um, was also the production designer on The Bad News Bears. Okay. And the 76th version of A Star is Born. Uh, she was an associate producer of uh, Louis Molly's Pretty Baby uh, from 78, um, which I think we'll watch in the future. Uh, she got she still did production design through the 80s, but was getting into producer work. Uh, in terms of endearment, she did production design on The Witches of Eastwick. She did production design on Broadcast News, which we'll watch in a few weeks. Uh, she was an executive producer of. Uh, and then... Where, where things get super interesting is in 1996, she was producer of a little movie we watched a few weeks ago, a few months ago, called Bottle Rocket. Uh, she is the reason Wes Anderson has a career. So Curse her. <laughs> don't curse her. But, but yeah, she's, uh, she's real interesting. Uh, but she also just loved the art in an interesting way. Did you watch the bonus feature that had her in it? Yes. Yeah, because uh, what's what's really interesting is that uh, her marriage to Bogdanovich fell apart during this movie. Yeah, uh, because Bogdanovich started an affair with Simple Shepard. Pulled a classic every European classic. Director. Listen, the man was thirty, and why would you not date a twenty-year-old? Right. Uh, you are who's also your film. Who's, That's what you do. Who is also your subordinate? Uh, to their credit. Uh, Sybil Shepard does call it her long lasting, longest lasting relationship and seems to not have felt like she was exploited. Uh, so that's good. Um, but uh, Polly, Polly still believed in the art. Uh, and the way Polly talks about Sybil, the way Polly talks about the production, uh, and the fact that she continued working with Bogdanovich after this uh, suggests that she, she really had a heart for the art more than yeah yeah it does it does well i mean she also implied in hers she's like well i guess you know i didn't know better but i just assumed that's what happened in uh, yeah sets right it's like okay well that's not the greatest uh not the greatest yeah she uh, does essentially okay she she does essentially say that every director is going to going to have sex with their lead actress and why should her husband be any different uh and then that sort of cuts with cloris leachman suggesting that uh, Platt let this happen as a way of controlling Bogdanovich's affair because she thought it was inevitable that he would have an affair. So uh, this was at least happening in a position where she could keep an eye on things, I guess, is what yeah. Leachman's point is. Okay. Uh, but 
but who knows? Anyway, uh, yeah. So <laughs> I, uh, I'm not surprised, given the people involved, that a bonus feature actually got into that aspect of right. things. Uh, but given the history of Criterion's collection, Criterion Collection's interaction with that aspect of directors, uh, where mostly it's not mentioned, right? Uh, I am actually very interested that they they chose to share that this time. Now, of course, that is just uh, that's in a behind the scenes retrospective that was its own released work in 1991, so it's not necessarily. Uh, something that the Criterion Collection purposely put out is just something they chose to put right, on the CD. Right, right. I mean, we so. we get we get a sort of a, we've gotten a smattering of this, right? Like some some of the stuff they put out does, and some of it doesn't. It's it's not right, so, right. it does not appear to be yeah. something they consider important. Right. It's just something. Despite that, the fact that we say that again, it's something you and I get hung up on a lot. Well, <laughs> so. because it's like so at this point, it's so like yeah. Just essentially, like, guaranteed, especially if you're talking about a French director, right. it's like, ah, oh, and then, right. and then. To Pauli, it's like, it's that. To Pauli Platt's okay. point. To Pauli Platt's point. Yeah, it does happen a lot. Yeah. Uh, but that doesn't make it inevitable, Pauli. No, no, and but she, it does, it does <laughs> feel like the, uh, the sort of like the Bart Simpson say the line, uh, mean. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah. It really does. It really does. Like, every time I yeah. open a Wikipedia so, article for a French Douai film or something to that effect, it's like, all right, where right. is it? Yeah. So, uh, so Platt also helped, uh, at least from what I can tell, Platt also helped adapt the adapt the novel. Um, and Platt and Bogdanovich really had a lot in the novel that they wanted to keep. But from her and and Peter talking in some of those bonus features, it seems that Larry McMurtry was sort of done with the novel. And was like trying to write a second draft of it right. for the movie, basically. Um, and they're like, "No, no, no, we want to do it the way the novel does it," uh, which is great. But there is obviously a lot of stuff cut from the novel because you can't a one for one. We've talked about this adapting a novel. You can't you can't do it in a movie. Right? No, you can't yeah. do it in a two hour film. There's too much content going on. Um, so things were cut. Uh, and some of those choices might be interesting. Um, they cut explicit mention of bestiality, which I understand. Yeah, I mean, I don't know that it was uh, adding a lot, but might have been. No, no. I mean, bored, bored rural boys having sex with animals is always a rumor. So McMurtry putting it into his novel, not that surprising. Uh, glad we didn't get to explicitly see it. Uh, so... Um, and then the other thing that got cut is at one point, apparently, and I believe it's probably after Sam's funeral, uh, but at one point, Sonny and Lois, who is JC's mom, have sex. Um, I'm a bit surprised that that's not it. You're, you, you know what I mean, though? Yeah. Like, given the sort of nature of the movie and everything like that, that sort of, that one doesn't seem. That more seems like maybe they cut it for time or something. Yeah, <laughs> right, right. It sort of would make sense. And also, though, there is a scene where she gives him a ride and tells tells him about how she was Sam's love affair 
that Sam had already told us about at the fishing hole. Right. And uh, and she sort of ends it by giving Sonny this look like she wants to have sex with him and then just says, well, I guess I'll go home. Yeah, I mean, I got to admit, like, that I extent. assume that's where it was going. Uh... Yeah, right, right. So kind of surprising that it didn't go that way. Uh, like purposeful choice and, and they're hanging a lamp lampshade on it by having her respond right, that way. Right. Uh, but whatever. Yeah. Um, given all of the sex in this book, in this book and movie, I'm not surprised. <laughs> I, I am sort of surprised that they didn't just add that one more on there. Right. right, right. Another thing uh, with Polly Platt's involvement is that she read the book first. Bogdanovich was, was handed copies by different people. A lot of people suggested that he make the movie, uh, but then he didn't have that time to read the book, so he gave it to Polly Platt, and she read it and said, "It's a great, it's a great book, but I don't know how long how you're going to make it into a movie." And at that point, Bagdanovich also read it and said he responded basically the same way. Uh, but then they made it work. Like here's the, okay. I've, obviously, we've not read the book, but like. Okay, I right. All right, we need a we need a, that sort of brings me to a point that I I kept thinking about when we were watching this, um, which is like I understand from a pure like cultural mores sort of perspective why this was an extremely difficult movie to get made. Like I get all you know why this would be yeah. why you would look at this and be like we can't fucking make this movie. Like everybody just thinks we're making porn. You know what I mean? There's this it's it's that's yeah. a, that's totally yeah. understandable to me. I multiple special features both here and in the lead up to this imply that the movie is doing something extraordinary as far as it's like storytelling and style is concerned. Like I and I don't really see it. You know what I mean? I feel like there's this tendency, and this is just me being maybe a little bit overreactionary about this, but like, there's this tendency to like mash those two together. In, in uh-huh. when we're talking about art and film, but film especially in in ways that even like art doesn't do, like transgressive, yeah. like in other art art mediums, transgressive subjects don't get confused necessarily with transgressive styling. I don't feel like this movie is like hyper stylized in that way i mean obviously making it black yeah. and white in 1971 is, is a choice and there's a, there's a lot of things going on but like right. it's pretty straightforward as far as like the way that the film yeah. itself is constructed right like it's not story, that different from old hollywood new. in terms of like what the right. camera and the well, actors are doing like what they're yeah it's also doing. it's also goodbye to old hollywood and this is this is overtly homage to John Ford. Right, and I have no board. problem with that. Like, I get that. It's yeah. all over it. That's a very reasonable and cool thing to do. I just have a problem with yeah. the way everybody talks about it. Like, he's doing <laughs> something really, like, extremely, like, wild and, and progressive as far as, like, the actual construction of the film is concerned. And I'm like, that's pretty yeah. straightforward. Well, hmm. It is... Where it is abnormal, it's it's abnormal in a way that all of our BBS films have been abnormal so far, with the exception of last week, um, and maybe only the possible exception of last week, is that basically all of our movies have ended have ended in a tragedy, a death, 
uh, five easy pieces. The original script called for a death at the end, but they did change it to him just walking away. Right, right. Uh, right, okay, okay. So, Again, but like that's and that, transgressive that is, with regards uh, to story and story. Content. Yeah, yeah. Like I, I, I don't right. have a problem with that. Like that is definitely true about yeah. this movie. Like no, yeah. no qualms with that. A hundred percent. I agree. It's like it is extremely transgressive as far as content is concerned, and I and I admire it for all it's the sort of swings it's taking yeah. with regards to that here. Uh, Where, people whereas, keep talking about it like it's revolutionary in terms of like, yeah, like style, and it's like, well, no, like the French New Wave was revolutionary in terms of style, like right. just a whole bunch of and even people doing some really weird ass shit, right? Even compared to other BBS stuff, this is not revolutionary in style. No. Last week was revolutionary in style, a safe place. Uh, head was head certainly revolutionary certainly, like, Head style. is right on that bleeding edge of like, hey, let's <laughs> even, make some fucked up shit here, boys. Um, and there's a lot of stuff in the editing in uh, Easy Rider that makes it revolutionary in style. Um, a lesser extent, I would say, to Drive, he said, and... Uh, uh, five easy pieces but right still there's this is this is john ford through and through in form and his homage to john ford to the point that if it it is telling this story that is not a john ford story right uh but it is a john ford movie and in fact sam is played by a john ford actor who john ford convinced to be in the movie and uh a lot of the movies we see playing at the theater are John Ford movies, or the posters we see in the background. Um, yeah, it's it, it wears its John Fordness on its sleeve. Right. I mean, yeah, uh, it even feels, it's even got you know, you know, to take that a step further, it's even got this sort of Western construction vibes of like the way yeah. the story progresses and everything like that. Um, absolutely, absolutely. I, yeah, I agree yeah. completely. I, it's just like I don't know, like. And I, maybe I'm a, a misassigning this thing, but like I feel like in last week and even this, and this week, more than once I feel like people referenced it as though it were French New. It, it referenced it as though yeah. it were a um, like some of the really like real wild and cool shit that we saw during the the right, French right, New right. Wave, you know, uh, like some Varda type shit where it's, it's like okay, yeah, because this is not like. This is not even. This is not um, cinema verite or anything like that. It's it's. This is very clearly a yeah. constructed story, progressing along right. a script, right? And like and like Ford, it uses wide long shots to exhibit the loneliness of its characters, right? Uh, yeah, and you know it owes a lot. Yeah, uh, yeah. Bogdanovich worked with Ford. Bogdanovich worked for Hawks, uh, and uh, uh, "What's Up, Doc?" is a is a Howard Hawks homage in much the same way that this is an homage to Ford. Um. So, yeah, it's actually it's interesting because <laughs> one of the things you didn't watch, and we talked about this a little bit already, but there is on this bonus features, uh, Francois Truffaut talking about this movie, right? And he gets to talking to him about it. Uh, because he's asked in this interview, uh, 
why Kahirsu Cinema doesn't cover American <laughs> yeah. films as much as French films, which is honestly just a silly question unless it's an American who is asking it of him. Uh, because, of course, Kahirsu Cinema covers French films. It's a French film magazine. Well, uh, I, but... I, I think that, you know, it, it is silly. Yes, I agree. But it, it, is, it yeah. is silly, especially when you when put in the frame of reference that it's sort of the opposite of the way this, you know, the framing of the normal question would be like, well, why don't American film magazines cover French right, films? Right, or right, right. Like yeah, yeah. So Truffaut's answer is that American films, they don't know the release schedule of American films. So whenever an American film shows up in France, it's kind of a surprise. And then he sort of bounces off of that to talk about surprising American films and brings up New Hollywood. He doesn't use the term New Hollywood, but what we now call New Hollywood, these sort of BBS era films uh, that we've been watching. And he talks about The Last Picture Show as an example of that. And what he talks about particularly is directors – Bogdanovich in particular, who use the old styles, who owe so much to uh, to Hawks, to Ford, to Orson Welles, to uh, Alfred Hitchcock, visually. Uh, and, you know, that's what we see for the people we think of as, as new Hollywood. Francis Ford Coppola and Brian De Palma and Bogdanovich. Um, the, stuff, the stuff coming out sort of just after all this BBS stuff and, and some during, right. We're, we're focusing on this era of new Hollywood through a particular lens by approaching it from the BBS archives. Uh, when, you know, Coppola, De Palma and, and others of that ilk weren't working for BBS. They were doing their own thing for other studios, right. Or independently even. Right. So, uh, but Truffaut, Makes the interesting thing, uh, he said he talks about how every generation movies change dramatically, and in previous generations it was because of uh, is because of tech, you know, the introduction of sound, the introduction of color, and what that allowed producers to do because the studios never like to risk things that allows the studios to tell the same stories over and again. Now we can tell it with color and you can, or now we can tell it with sound and you get a little more in depth in what the characters are thinking. Now we can color it with color. Now we can, now we can do it in cinemascope. Uh, and it's just the same stories over and over again. And he talks about this new Hollywood difference being that they are telling new stories, which he attributes to the sexual revolution, which is not unfair, particularly for this movie. Uh, I think there's other things going on. That yeah. I mean, it does. Sexual it does liberation is an aspect that. of, but yeah, it's, it's, yeah. it's, it's it's a nice, easy encapsulation of like, you know, if you were going to like yeah. sort of nail it down to one little thing, you know, like one thing that yeah, would be yeah. a good sort of shorthand yeah. for it, right? Right. Yeah. Yes. Without using some sort of vague term about uh, post-war, post-modernism. Right, right, right. But uh, <laughs> we don't need Truffaut to get into continental philosophy. <laughs> so <laughs> I don't want Truffaut to get into no, Godard. No. Godard, I'd listen to talk. I'd listen to Godard talk about Foucault. But I don't think I want to listen to Truffaut talk about right. Cult. I don't. I don't. Anyway. I don't trust that uh, that he's really, truly, and honestly yeah. capable of it. But yeah, yeah. 
I also know that Godard's not, but I, no, it would but still like, be fun. I, but, his, uh, but like, I don't know. It, it's fun. We've heard him. Us. We've heard him try before. Yeah, we've heard yeah, him yeah. try before. We understand. We, we we give him the benefit of the doubt in a way that we're not willing to give Truffaut the benefit of the doubt on this. Yeah, because we've also love, heard love Truffaut, Truffaut open his mouth before. And yeah, it's right. Very rarely, uh, he what Truffaut is definitely upper class. Uh, upper class, yeah. um, even as he tells particularly very good lower class stories 400 blows is an amazing movie uh he's yeah the rest of the anton Daniel series not so, well was, and that's really what, that's really we we need look no further yeah. than for me to understand why i do not trust Truffaut <laughs> further than i can throw right, in right. because right yeah 400 Absolutely. blows amazing Absolutely. uh yeah. you know less so on the other fronts <laughs> there right uh, right uh but yeah, uh, <laughs> so Truffaut's praising Bagnanovich for uh, telling these new stories with these old forms, right? With with an eye to who Truffaut think, thinks are the greatest American directors. Um, and not for nothing, you know, because they are. But <laughs> uh, so, yeah, that that sort of the John Fordness of it adds to it for Truffaut. Right. Yeah. Because he he sees it as as in line doing something new intellectually within a used space, and that's something the French New Wave was definitely doing right. yeah. in in like remixing of not just French film but American film. You know, we see all of those early early uh, French New Wave stuff where it's American gangster films, right? Sort of being I, and, and we we being have sent through a blender. Out that those are not our favorites, but uh... <laughs> no, they aren't. But. But they exist. But they do exist, <laughs> and and yeah. they are they are they are of a piece with something like this. I, I it really got, like we can make fun of Truffaut for like his maybe not having the best political sense in the history of mankind, yeah, uh, and also being kind of a you know being a misogynistic <laughs> asshole sometimes. <laughs> but uh, I will give him that he does generally seem to know what he's talking about when it actually comes to film and cinema. So yeah, absolutely, uh, absolutely. Yeah, and so he's on so, the, he's on the right mark as far as we're concerned with that stuff. Um, right, right. Yeah the uh, the interview with, with him is it's interesting though. You know, it's not really about uh, this movie so much as using this movie as an example to talk about a bunch of other right. things. Um, uh, and and in he, he talks oh, about ahead, it. Sorry. He talks about story wise these these being a reversal of the traditional Hollywood ending because Hollywood. You know, like I already said, Hollywood talks about happy endings, uh, whereas uh, he talks about these uh, these new Hollywood American films ending badly in death and destruction. Um, and certainly that's true of all the BBS stuff we've seen so far, right? Uh, right. And, you know, I, you know, and I, I agree completely with what he's saying here. Um, the one thing I would like to like kind of not I don't want to call it push back on because I don't it's not pushing back. It's worth yeah. noting that, like, the old Hollywood system for those endings is not, like, I don't know how to phrase this. This is a complicated concept I'm trying to get across. A concept. It's not terribly concept to understand, but, like, um, that was a very sincerely, very deeply artificial construction. Right? It's not like, it's yeah. not like bad, stories with bad endings didn't exist prior. Like, the and this is not to 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 say anything negative about this film or any of the other ones that we're talking about, but like at the same time, it is worth noting, like bad endings in 
storytelling are not a new thing. We're not a. They were specifically new in cinema because it, American cinema specifically because of a very intense artificial like structure built around film by yeah. studios, right? Yeah, but that artificial structure existed in France too, and right? Well, in, no, in I, I understand of, that, but like but all of I, the new wave stuff in every country is pushing back against that artificiality, right? right? And, and, and what what I'm trying to get at is not like I'm not trying to like downplay this it's it's not that's not the goal here yeah it's like a thing that's worth engaging with and i think and a lot of them do anyway is this like every other art form already got to do this like a long ass fucking time ago and many of them never even really had to do it in the same sort of way right because because of the specific nature of filmmaking and and it's sort of non sort of democratized sort of Action, and not even not not even democratized, non-distributed sort of development. Like f- books, trans- transgressive books have been literally written as long as people have written fucking books. Right, right, right. right. Like the moment somebody yeah, put course. pen to paper, they're like, "We're gonna have some people fucking this." Okay, it's gonna get real dirty in here. Okay, and then we're gonna kill some people. Too. Yeah, yeah. Uh, plays the same way, right? Because you've always been able to. All those art forms, you've always been able to do them outside of the system, right? You may not be able to like publish yeah, them per se. I think, but no, what I mean though is right. like you could—they were always art forms you could engage with on a personal level, outside of any sort of need, without needing to engage with the system if you weren't trying to make a, lo- a living off of them. You, you, you know what I mean? Film specifically, prior to like the uh, like eight millimeter like home film cameras, right? was not a thing you could just like do in your free time and get real weird with it. You you, you know what I mean? And and right. and I think that makes it really and that and I think that explains to a certain extent why there's there needs to be this sort of like deep pushback against the strictures of the studio system because you you need their you need that equipment, you need that that you yeah. need the whole system to be able to even well, you make remember. a film, and then of course by 1970, I don't know when the like those eight millimeter home film cameras came into existence, but like um, I'd have to go look that up. But yeah, yeah I, well, where we are around the time, right? It's around you know, this time, and, uh, that, and that's my that point. That's why they believe them, you know, and perhaps have been for a little bit. Because you might you might recall during the head episode, Bob Rafelson talks about you know. In, in thinking about his making head, he makes reference to uh, Brackage, right? Right. And Brackage is already doing work, and Ravelson knows his work. Right. Uh, by 1969. So. Well, and, and bear in mind that, like, I, 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 just, I just told on myself, I just totally forgot, parts of Easy Rider were filmed with handheld 8mm cameras. Yes, yes, yes. So, yes, I mean, but, but, but yeah. okay, so, but, like, you're... I feel like there's a there's a sort of synchronicity to the whole thing there in that like the studio system starts losing its grip around the time that already it couldn't have had couldn't have kept it any longer anyway because yeah. at some point somebody was going to you know you're already crossing into this world where like somebody can just get a hold of something like Do that it. and like if they can convince a yeah. theater to play it fucking st- you're outside the system now. It's just it's just functioning completely independently, right? Right. Um, right. And and we get the rise of truly independent cinema 
uh, you know, just in, con- you know, sort of around the same time, but, uh, but so, uh, kind of just before this too, as, as that stuff. Uh, 1965 by Kodak. We're introduced. The first, the first 8 millimeter home like, camera. Mass market introduced in 1965. Yeah. So you see what I'm saying though, right? There's a, you know, not to like, I'm not even trying to like downplay anything. It's just sort of like worth kind of kind of thinking about the fact that like the studio, that whole system was too too top heavy and broken to like continue for much longer anyway. No matter and and so people are going to push back against it. It's just it's it's interesting how it's different from other art forms, right? Because somebody could always go fucking paint a wild ass photo or wild ass painting in their house if they wanted to right it was always an option and then camera but film wasn't it didn't exist like that way so to kind of like go in the complete opposite direction of Truffaut one might argue that there is also a a revolution of technology involved here right that is um, it's important to allowing this to happen and and that even I don't know, um, I mean, what were Truffauts and some of those guys' first films shot on? I don't know. Um, yeah. Well, I mean, one thing one thing that sort of marks New Hollywood apart from independent film more broadly, or even other other new movements, is that New Hollywood has through through BBS New Hollywood has uh, access to uh this stuff right right uh this tech because because bbs is a subsidiary of columbia basically you know they're releasing everything through columbia they have columbia's resources right right um but we you know there's other other independent cinema in the new hollywood era is utilizing the latest tech you know, cinemascope stuff, right. and, and you know, there's, well, and, and the and the French available. New Wave stuff was mostly yeah. using like that. The stuff we've watched is mostly employing uh, modern technology. Like they're not. I mean, a lot of them. I right. I do remember reading slash hearing. You know, the sort of stories about like kind of scraping together some block of money to like get the thing made, right? But uh, you know. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, Corman's doing independent production on a pretty massive scale at this time because he's he's basically his own production company right. by this point. So, uh, you know, and we've made frequent reference to Corman already with the BBS stuff because he's doing this in the years before BBS. And a lot of a lot of the BBS filmmakers had already been working with Corman uh, or in the case of Easy Rider, Corman passed on the movie, uh, and BBS got to pick it up and make a ton of money right. from it, <laughs> and and get themselves some prestige that even Corman didn't really have. <laughs> prestige. Right. Corman was was a shock guy, right? Um, but yeah, which is maybe why Corman passed on Easy Rider. It wasn't schlocky enough, right? This doesn't but, meet my my standards for schlockiness. You're right to say that this movie isn't particularly innovative in style, and you know, like we've said, that's because it's paying homage and because it's got resources. Um, though it is interesting that there was a point, 
you made a joke earlier about how uh, uh, Bogdanovich doesn't. Uh, he tells the story himself that he doesn't know what a master is, a master shot. Uh, and the fact that he didn't know what a master shot is and hadn't shot any masters nearly led him to getting fired by Burt Schneider. Right. Which is interesting because all of the other BBC, BBS stuff we've encountered basically said uh, that Schneider particularly, but the entire BBS production crew uh, as executives, their rule was as long as you come in under budget, or at budget, uh, do whatever you want. Right. Uh, so the fact that anyone was ever at risk of being fired <laughs> seems seems a little. It seems a little overplayed. But I would say the, the flip side is that this is maybe one of those weird exceptions where it's like, oh, this is going to bring us in over budget because right, right, right. Because you don't have, have ma- you don't have any again. masters to rely uh, on. Yeah. So like, hey, when this yeah. shit fucking um, hits the fan. Could you explain how you're going to handle that? Yeah. That is actually an interesting thing. Uh, Bogdanovich tells a story in at least one of the bonus features, if not multiple bonus features, that he refused editing credit on this movie, despite, as he says, being the only editor. Uh, And he thought being credited as writer and director was already, already enough and to credit himself as editor as well would be putting a hat on a hat. It's just too much. Uh, so instead, he uh, he told them to give editing credit to John Camburn, Don Camburn, uh, who was in the next room editing Drive, he said, uh, while uh, Bogdanovich was editing this movie. Um, and... Camburn had, according to Bagdanovich, helped him order some lenses or something uh, for the movie, and therefore the the connection wasn't absolutely tenuous. Um, Canburn also, though, <laughs> has himself said that that's not entirely true, and that he did do an actual edit of the movie. That uh, that Bogdanovich's initial cut of the movie, which he showed to Camburn, Bob Rafelson, and Jack Nicholson, uh, wasn't that great. Uh-huh. And Canburn, Canburn suggested that they do another edit, and Bogdanovich says, "Fine, do one." Essentially, right. <laughs> maybe not quite as 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 uh, antagonistically as that, but Canburn says he did a second edit of the movie after Bogdanovich's initial edit. And that is the released. So my question um, becomes: I so given that we are probably watching that second, uh, right, right, right. We're definitely watching. We're not watching Bogdanovich. We are watching what is called the director's cut and has uh, a few additional minutes that were cut from the initial release. But we are watching Camburn's version at its heart. Um. Yeah. Which is the initial you know, cuts were uh, just yeah. that Columbia had insisted on not releasing a movie that was over two hours, basically. And so uh, when Bogdanovich had a chance in 1992, he released uh, the the current cut we have, the 127 minutes. So, yeah, which is now basically the only thing available. Right, right. the The original the original cut is gone. 
So, um, presumably, Camber didn't have anything to do with with adding those seven minutes back in. But who knows? We've talked around the movie a lot, but the actual movie itself, plot-wise, um, I don't know. It's pretty. It's it's sort of classic westerner, but also heaped in mid-century nostalgia. Uh, so yeah, I mean, it's it's worth noting the fact that, that we're, we're we're twenty years on from when the movie is already the movie is about right like he goes out of his way to make this it's feel sort of stylistically like it should fit into that time period but we are we are talking about essentially absolutely to a certain extent a nostalgia piece so right we're shooting in 1970 about uh high school seniors in 1951 right um so you know it's it's that look back that sort of nostalgia we we get active, you know. Sam is allowed to indulge in nostalgia overtly, and that sort of inspires Sonny, uh, wistfully thinking about his own future nostalgia, right? Right, right? and that this is this is like the best times of your lives. Um, <laughs> this nightmare, but it's also is about the best time of your life. Please enjoy. Yeah, yeah, uh, but it's also about the dying of the old things, right? You know. Uh, they, the last movie they see is Howard Hawks' Red River, uh, which this movie also makes a ver- reference to in the name that Bogdanovich chose for the town uh, was meant to be homage to Abilene, which is the, the town that uh, Red River takes place in. Um, so they watch Red River and that's sort of the dying, the shuddering of old Hollywood at the end of that, right? But that old Hollywood isn't necessarily here meant to be the structures of old Hollywood, the censorship of old Hollywood it is a, it is a goodbye to the movies of your childhood, right? right the, right. the simple stories, the simple Westerns, the good guys, good guys, bad guys. Not that John Ford Westerns were all simple, right? Um, and, and Red River. I don't know. I haven't seen Red River, but uh, Hawks, Hawks didn't necessarily make simple good guy, bad guy narratives either. But, uh, but this sort of goodbye to easy understanding. And we get talk of Korea as a stand-in for talk of Vietnam. Uh, and the excitement of signing up, but the acknowledgement, of, well, I'll see you later if I don't die. Well, <laughs> but, you know, bear in mind, right, truck. like, and and that's the thing, right, is that that, that is a very, you know, it's 19, what, 51, 52, like, they're they're yeah. so excited like he's kind of like excited to sign up so it's got this sort of um it's not really a thing he th- thing he thinks of as a possibility right 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 um which is probably pretty different than you know is a fairly different understanding from the way our actual like director and and the the people we've seen throughout this set understand Vietnam at this point right like uh right you know yeah and yeah, um, Dwayne goes to Dwayne goes to war, and loses his innocence in that manner. Uh, that you know, any anyone in the audience thinking about war would be thinking about. Um, Sonny in turn stays home, but also loses everything too. Right, he loses Sam, he loses the theater, he loses JC. Uh, then he loses Billy in the final end. And Billy is the ultimate death of innocence. Well, right, and, and, and Billy, Billy is the only is sort character. of to a certain extent right. the only tragedy, right? Um, right, in it, right. Like, 
losing well, Jason. I think Sam's sudden death is probably what, say that again. Sam's sudden death is tragic. It's a tragedy, but 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 what I mean is like Sam, like Sam to a certain extent has already Sonny and Sam have already interfaced in really deep and meaningful way, right? Like Sam yeah. is 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 older, right? Like he is his stroke is sudden, and Sonny's not there for it, and that is a tragedy. But like, right? The, the, we're talking about sort of very different. Mo- like Sonny is in shock about that and 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 upset about it. But like Billy's death is 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 a sort of like earth shattering moment, right? It is. Not, it's the death of innocence, right. and then and then you know you layer that on with the sort of the sort of old, the chorus of old men who just sort of have already right. decided to blame Billy for his own death and 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 aren't even bothering yeah. to pick his body Sam, up off the street, right? Sam dies to show what's going to happen to Sonny after the narrative, right? right. Yeah, because I mean, Sonny yeah, and, and, well, to, and to all of them, right? Mirrors, this is right. this is yeah. Yeah. Everybody's fate. But that sort of never leave your hometown, run run the run the pool hall, die a young death, uh, is is going to be Sonny's fate as far as you know the foreshadowing that Sam's death is. Right. Billy's death is one tragic, two unexpected, and three showcasing how no one in the town actually cares about anything. Right. Yeah. I At mean, they're same. all very yeah, and and. When you combine that with some of the other stuff that we see, like um, we see Sonny at the football game, he's he's been graduated a, just at a year, and already like the cycle has already completely turned coach. over, right? Like yeah. it it, it yeah. really lays in pretty heavy into the idea that like this and like, is uh, and yeah, no one no one can even remember how how long it's been since he played right and, basically. yeah and, and, it's, and, been, and, it's been and one presumably season. it has been one this season. new crop of players yeah. presumably the same they said the same thing about Sonny and his yeah cohort yeah. when they Absolutely. when they were on the field right like when they first started it was oh well right. th- this group at least this group knows how to tackle blah blah, blah or at least this group you right, know right 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 yeah uh, we've got a chance this year with this group and it's like it's just there's this sort of there's obviously this implication that like yeah they say that literally every year like this is the just the right. thing they say this is the the motion of it all um and and I think what makes things and in that sense Billy's death is is special right Billy's death represents something different that's not part of the cycle right like per se um but I mean, not not in a specific sense, right? But like the sort of the system sort of weeding out all the sort of innocence is right. There maybe maybe it wasn't Billy getting hit, but something akin to that happens every couple generations as a sort of like nobody was really paying that close attention to this kid in the first place to like make sure that he didn't die, you know? Um, right. So the system was already set up to sort of ensure that eventually he would be cut out of it. I don't know. It, it's a fascinating story. Like we, I feel like we, we, in the time since then, we've seen lots of stories that sort of get into this mode. Uh huh. That being said, this one is far more sort of intense and tragic than even a lot of those ones are. Like the movies I've seen, you know, that 
post-date this that kind of talk about the same sort of ideas are not as intense as this one, generally speaking. Okay. Well, I'm thinking of, you know, like something like the the sort of like post-graduation sort of like malaise sort of, there's lots of movies like that. Yeah, yeah. But they don't tend to be, is... even now in the times that post-date this, they don't tend to be, at least as far as the main Hollywood ones are concerned, don't tend to be overt tragedies. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean, this is, everybody's tragic in their own ways and everyone's stuck, stuck in the cycle, right? And that's really what it is. JC becomes her mother. Sam, be, Sam because, or Sonny becomes Sam. And Dwayne becomes any number of people. Well, in, we don't know Dwayne's father, out, right? right? Right. Like, right. presumably, and to a certain extent, maybe, I mean, Dwayne's probably not going to father any children because it's, it's, as far as we know, but he's just one of the ones that dies, right? He's one of the ones who just never comes back, right? right? It's just gone. Uh, yeah. Well, well, as it turns out, there's a sequel. Uh, We're not going to talk about the sequel, and Adam. does come back, but, but we didn't watch it, so we won't talk about yeah. it. Um, we, I am forced to assume no, it's one not of the, uh, Well, Bogdanovich returns to shoot a sequel based on the sequel novel. Um, so once again, working from, from the same author's work, uh, and most of the stars return. So, and it's just about, you know, the generation of kids from the 1971 version are now adults in 1984. So there's a bigger, there's a bigger time leap in the movie than there is, uh, between production basically. Because we're talking 71 to 91 and 51 to 84. So 33 years of time has passed. Um, so, yeah. Uh, now our 22, our 20-year-olds playing high school students are looking a little young for pay, <laughs> to play. Right. 45-year-olds. Uh, 40 but um, anyway. Uh, yeah, one of the bonus features takes place, has a lot of interviews done during filming of Texasville is the name of the sequel. Uh, and I was very interested in, in that. No, no, I found it very funny. I don't know why it didn't really mean anything, but Timothy bottoms while giving his behind the scenes interview is wearing double denim and holding a toy poodle the entire time he's talking. (laughs) It's just very weird. Like why, why is this happening? But, um, but yeah, uh, so yeah, the sequel does exist, and Dwayne does survive the war because Dwayne is in the sequel. That's not canonical for me. What we do, yeah, and Dwayne does come back. You know, we see no. we see him and Sonny sort of reconnect before they uh, before they go see Red River, right? Right, but that's before he ships they go off. See the movie together. Oh yeah, that is. They reconnect before he ships off. Yeah, I forgot. Yeah, like that, we don't see Dwayne like, together. To a certain then, extent, yeah, I, Dwayne I doesn't kind come of back view in the, narrative. I the making yeah. of a sequel no, kind right. of a weird sort of film crime, in yeah. the sense that like you're pulling some George Lucas shit now. Like, no, he doesn't. Right. We because, don't know what happens no, to him, yeah. and that's both good and normal. You're <laughs> like, right? You're uh, absolutely right. And like Billy. Billy's death is like almost a stand-in for Dwayne's death. Right. Yeah. Absolutely. Totally. Too, right. Yeah. Uh, 
for the implicit uh, the, because yeah, Billy Billy dies the next day after Dwayne leaves, and Dwayne's Dwayne's gone to an unforeseen fate and made a joke about dying, and then Billy dies the next morning. Yeah, um, because and yeah, you know the the fact that you know Billy is killed by industry that all of the local townsmen immediately blame him for. Yeah, I mean, he's basically for disrupting an overworked, the flow yeah, of... Co- the truck driver's an overworked guy, too. But, but yeah, uh, they're mad at him for disrupting the flow of commerce and, uh, you know, and blaming blaming him for it and what's he doing out in this road anyway and, and you know, but he's doing the same thing he's done literally every day. He's doing the same thing he was introduced doing at the beginning of the movie. He's sweeping right, the street I mean, Billy is truly the only one that is basically unchanging throughout this, right? Yeah, yeah, and that's that's why he dies right. too, right? Um, but yeah, and then the final final scene, of course, is is Sonny and Leachman, uh, Sonny and 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 uh, Ruth, and. That's interesting too because both uh there are two times apparently uh that uh Bogdanovich was just like, Yeah, you're gonna win an Oscar and then was right. And the first was getting uh getting Ben Johnson to sign on to play Sam. Right. Uh, it's like why do you want uh, why do you want me in this movie? Because you're gonna win an Oscar for this movie. And then he did. Uh, but the other time was Cloris Leachman. They hadn't done any rehearsals for that final scene, and Cloris Leachman wanted them, and Bogdanovich said no. Uh, and then they did it, and that's the first take is what's in the movie because they only did one take. And Leachman's like, "No, I can do better." And Bogdanovich says, "No, you're going to win an Oscar for what we just did." And then she did. Uh, yeah, this movie had eight. Eight, yeah, it's pretty wild. It's, it's really and one one a good it, amount of it them. It feels yeah. very. Um, I find that very like shocking in a lot of ways, and but also very telling yeah. with regards to like oh like yeah there was there was a time yeah. when a movie like this could win an Oscar. I do or could at least be nominated for Oscars. I, I do like that Ruth and Sammy's interactions still play to Cloris Leachman's strengths as a comedic actress. Uh, they are subtly funny, but they are funny. Right. Um, when she gets like stuck in her underdress or underskirt, it's just very good. Um, it's quick, but it's fun. Uh, but every every adult female in this movie, uh, one, they're all fantastic actresses, but they're also they all get their own sort of what could be an Oscar nominated monologue. Right. right. Uh, Ellen Birdson gets one as low uh, as Lois. Certainly. Uh, Eileen Brennan definitely gets one as Guinevere. Uh, you know, and, and Ruth has hers in the end here and they're all great. They're all fantastic. Everyone's really well acted here. And, you know, Bogdanovich makes this an actor's movie. He talks right. about overtly making an actor's movie and it is, it is, uh, he does say the crew hated him because he was he was so intense on working with the actors and sitting at the actors' table, which I also have to imagine was uh, just to get close to Sybil Shepherd too. Right? But, yeah, uh, I mean, whatever. Yeah, one, one would assume. Justify that the only any whatever way you want to, I guess. But, um, yeah. So you know, 
I out of the other BBS stuff we've watched, I think this is in the top half for me, definitely. Yeah, no, I would. Um, yeah, I, I still love it. Yeah, I, I mean, I think this is a fantastically done movie, and I'd rather watch this than anything directed by uh, Jack Nicholson again. And I'd say Bob Rafelson as well, but we do actually have to watch one more Bob Rafelson movie. So right? Yeah, I mean that wouldn't be fair. We a whole judgment. Cheating. We can't. We can't yeah. already write that one off. Well, I mean, here's <laughs> right. the thing: it's like, um, you know, I mean, head is Bob Rafelson, so we have to give him That's that. That's true. At least. That is true. Um, I yeah. I am interested in King of Marvin Gardens still, just based on the previews that that happened. Yeah. I'm fat. I'm I'm interested in it in a way. I think honestly, the things. The the middle was real real rough, right? Like the middle of this was real rough. You know, it kind of it was on a downward slide. We had, uh, you know, we went through head, which is good, uh, and then sort of dropped as far as our relationships go. Yeah, and then you know, and and then now uh, like you know something like drive, this is um, drive. He said was definitely the Nadir is a real is a real return so. to to something that's interesting. It's not yeah. anything reminiscent of head. I mean, it's completely right. different. But um, that being said, it is good. I generally liked yeah. it. I wasn't sure I was going to when I right, j- right, just right. because like all the previews of it made me like, you know, all the preview stuff that we got whenever it was mentioned in other um, sort of like um, special features and stuff, it was really hard to get a lock on like what the movie was. Right. And this movie could have gone real bad and real worse, right? In general, I'm yeah. quite pleased with what was done what what he did here, right? Like I think it's successful, I think. Um Yeah. What I I think I don't want to say handled tastefully cuz that's not what I want to mean, but like um I don't know. It feels not gross. The way I thought it could have been gross, right? And and you know the way, the way similar themes have felt gross in other BBS movies, right? right? Yes, yes, exactly. Uh, the BBS yeah. BBS has not had a good track record for us thus far. Yeah, on on the on it, the sum total for this kind of stuff. It it might be meaningless to say, but if there if there's one thread through all of these movies, all these BBS movies are about alienation, right? Right. And and we get to see all sorts of different people be alienated from their daily lives. And Sonny is very much alienated here. Uh, Sonny's the most alienated here, but everyone's alienated in their own ways and, and unable to interact with people in meaningful ways. And, you know, that's just as true here. And, and you know, the, the guys in Easy Rider are alienated. Nicholson in Five Easy Pieces is an upper-class person. Piano savant who is alienated. Uh even even in head, head is about how the monkeys feel. Right, 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 right. Well, and, most, and I think some of the most famous ahead. people in the world, <laughs> some of the most famous people in the world feel alienated under because they're they're capitalist pawns. Right. That's that's the point of head. Right. right. Well, so but head and, is and head is much more. What what I would argue is that one of the reasons why this is successful, and I I like this better in many ways than Easy Rider. I think this is the second best. Right. Yeah. And honestly, if I weren't giving head outsized, you know, <laughs> right, like sort right, of right, uh, right. sort of reward or whatever, I would probably say this is the best. Um, 
my I would say that one of the reasons why this is successful and the other ones are not is because it's non-contemporaneous, right? Like Bogdanovich is using the past as a tool to talk about the present and alienation, right? But doesn't have like doesn't have to get mired in a lot of the problems that the other ones do because they are trying to be at least are, are trying to be you know current, right? And and we run into this especially with like the Jack Nicholson character in a lot of them is oftentimes we have to try to understand how he fits into the greater world and it doesn't always make a lot of fucking sense you know what i mean like it 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 whereas here we don't have to worry about that right like it was like this is the past the world yeah we we he's a little bit more by damage is a little bit more free to just talk about things without having to worry too much about like well i mean how much do i talk about the war how much do I talk about X or Y, right? I, I can just, he can just focus on, and it doesn't hurt also that it was a pre-existing book, right? That Bogdanovich is aided by the fact that this is already a story that has been written by somebody. Yeah. With a, with a lot of modification a lot of and a lot of editing and, of course, made into a screenplay, so lots of hands on it. But in the end, somebody already successfully wrote this story, and that means it doesn't meander in the same way, right? It, and the story already right. went through the hands of some sort of editor at some point who uh, and then it's getting more further edited right by by the writing right by the, all the people writing the movie right and taking out pits that just aren't going to work uh and maybe some of the BBS films could have used some of that yeah yeah well i guess another thing where this movie goes further than the other BBS stuff is that uh, it's not just about, um, so many of the other BBS movies presented this alienation as a new problem. Right. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Whereas, whereas this movie is definitely aware that the previous generation was just as alienated. Right. And wants us to know that too. And, that, and, I, and that's an important know, acknowledgement just... that I, I'm not a hundred percent convinced that many of our. Certainly not our our characters in the other movies, but I'm not also convinced. Yeah, like as you point out, it seemed, they present it seemingly as a new problem, right? And, and right, probably a combination of yeah. our again our author and Bogdanovich are aware that this is there's nothing new under the sun, right? And that's you know that's uh, our major problems with the politics of the previous BBS films, where we've had problems, is that. Uh, the political moment they find themselves in and what they are relating to is one that is particularly anti me getting drafted. Right, right, yeah. We talked about and, that a lot. And that is basically the extent ways. of and it. And that is, <laughs> right. and we've talked about how that's not a reasonable political, it, it is a very reasonable thing to It's certainly to not one that. And want, but it doesn't right. make for a political movement, right? No, no. It's not something that gets you plugged in for continued use. Right. <laughs> um, so uh whereas here we're a little more uh you know Bogdanovich is also not making some sort of Marxist argument here. No. But this is a movie that shows that uh everyone's alienated, uh even within an ostensible community, and uh 
it's uh it is sort of the dredges of capitalism here too right because we're we're outside we're we're in this dying town now in reality archer city is not a dying town because archer city has a heck of a lot of oil money right right. uh but uh well, but, but, it but is in, still, in that and, sense, Bogdanovich doesn't have to make a Marxist film because reality is Marxist. Um, right, like, right, right. Bogdanovich makes a movie. Like, yeah, there's a fuck ton of oil money here. Guess who? Guess yeah. what doesn't happen to oil money? It does not get spread amongst the people of the town. The, the oil wells right. are not collectively owned. So, yeah, you know, the town can die. While it's drowning in money, right? Like while while the people who own the town essentially are uh, drowning in money, right? Um, right. And 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 yeah. you know that's that's a commentary whether we, or not Bogdanovich means it that way or not doesn't matter, right. right? And we and we see that the rich people in this community are exploitative or idiots right. or exploitative idiots, right? Well, uh, and we, we even come to terms with the fact that, like, all, as far as we can tell, as far as the geography of the town is concerned, none of the rich people live in town. Or at least right. most of them don't. Most of them yeah. live off they actually, somewhere else. Yeah, they live over the border, even. Not Texas. Uh, they live the other side of the border. Yeah, and so, Rome, and, and, and. Anyway, whatever. And we, whatever. Get, we get into Bogdanovich's, again, we run it, we, we talked already about the idea that, like, oh, yeah, we, we, the machines of of economy grind Billy into dust, right? Like again, whether or not Bogdanovich is trying to make a Marxist film or not doesn't actually end up being all that relevant, right? Because, right, boy, right, right. the machine <laughs> machine of industry sure will run a child over. Well, not a child, but you know what I mean, like yeah. basically a child, right? Like some eighteen year old yeah, kid. Mean, he's he's. He's younger than our main characters, and our main characters are eighteen, nineteen, or twenty. Yeah, I, I was point. never very clear on so, exactly how. But but my point yeah. is, like, even if he is technically of age, you know, that is still a child, right? Right. I think it it really is a fantastic movie, um, and and even you know we had clips of it last week with the one of the bonus features for uh, a safe place, and I really loved a safe place. Uh, but I was watching those clips with for a safe place. I didn't go back and revisit him. If I w- went back and revisited Bogdanovich on that New York television show talking about this movie, um, I tried to pay a little attention, but I had no context yet. Right? Yeah, I mean, I generally tried uh, to. I, I generally did my best to sort of like keep that in mind when uh, yeah. we were, you know, while we were watching this, right? But. Yeah. So, you know, and of course, something like that pro- television program is designed for people who haven't seen the movie yet, right? That's why we get all the clips of it. Uh, so there's that too. But, uh, yeah, it's it's good. Bogdanovich famously has a fairly uneven career. Right. Uh, but he knocked it out of the park early with this one. Um, never... Uh, it, this wasn't his first movie. It was his, I think, second. Yeah, I mean, uh, he refers to it multiple it's always, times as his second film, right? Like, there's some other, yeah. uh, I forget what it was called. Um, yeah. So, um, so about, always uh, gun or something. I don't know. Always feels bad 
to make basically the best thing you could ever make early in your career. Right. I mean, <laughs> um, I, I wouldn't necessarily so, count them out completely, right? Like, I mean, it, presumably, right. you know, I've not, I do not know anything about Bogdanovich as a as a director. Not, re- not really. Yeah. Like, I don't know. Whether I, you know, I don't know what other movie, you know, I just don't remember. I'm sure that if if somebody told me one, I'd be like, oh yeah, okay, I've seen that movie or something like that. But I don't, <laughs> off the top of my head, know. Uh, and I have a really bad headache, so I'm not going to find out. Uh, but uh, <laughs> my my point is that the, you know, is it is it impossible for him to do something as good as this? Totally, yeah. But like, will it be difficult to accomplish? Also, yes. Well, the good news is the only movie he made before this is called Targets. I knew it was and something it like it is a gun in the Criterion Collection. I couldn't remember what it was called. Uh, we won't watch it for many, many years because it is spine number eleven seventy nine, uh, announced by Criterion within the last two. Months. Oh, nice. Um, uh, Surely, possibly I not even. Yeah, possibly not even actually. Uh, 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 released yet by Criterion, but it is it's definitely possible, list. right? That they have um, not even actually made the the final release. Yeah, he did also. Apparently, he's credited as director on uh, uh, Voyage to the Planet of the Prehistoric Women. Uh, his finest work. Yeah, uh, but it's a Corman. It's a Corman production where they're reusing a bunch of footage from a Soviet sci-fi movie. So I don't know. Right, uh, and and Bogdanovich chose not to have his name put on the movie. Oh, <laughs> so, one of those. Okay, yeah. Um, but yeah, uh, so yeah. Um, Target's also co-written by Polly Platt, so we have we have that to look forward to as well. <laughs> see, see another example of her. Um, yeah, who. We will see more more projects with Polly Platt involved than we will see with Peter Brockdonovich involved over the course of the oh, Criterion Collection. Yeah, I mean, well, what, based on so, what you described, yes, that that checks out. That yeah. makes sense because uh, we we already have right because she's she's involved with every Bogdanovich picture we're going to see, and she produced and like half of uh, all other movies. Well, yeah, um, but yeah, uh, there is one more interesting thing that comes up. Uh, they talk a little bit about it in in the retrospective that uh, that you watched, um, but Leachman talking about how Ruth's husband, the football coach, is uh, maybe meant to be gay, right? Um, and I guess in the book it's a little more overt, but still not very overt, and. Uh, in the final product, all we get is he slaps the QB's butt uh, after uh, uh, Bobby uh, after basketball practice, and then Bobby gives him a a not angry look in response, right? <laughs> a, yeah, a sort of flirtatious look in response. And uh, the guy who plays Bobby is one of the people interviewed in one of the one of the bonus features who also talks about how there was a planned locker room scene that would make that slightly more overt. Um, as it stands, 
we sort of just get this nebulous their marriage is falling apart thing. Right. That uh that we don't get any definitions for, but also we don't necessarily need definitions for. I think it would be more interesting and would have been more challenging if uh Bagnanovich had made that second shot that scene and put it in the movie. Um but uh but it doesn't exist. Um so we just have a whole bunch of different people talking about. It. Leachman suggests it. The guy who plays Bobby obviously talks about it. Uh but Yeah, I don't know. I just yeah. For as transgressive as this movie is, it still pulled some punches. Right. Not just in what it chose to leave out of the adaptation, but also even what it chose to leave out of shooting from its own script. So Yeah. 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 I don't know. You know, also, you know, there is there is the matter of the fact that uh they were over time. Columbia gave them an explicit no longer than two hours. Right, right. Uh, had to be under two I mean, hours. You know, and they were over it, two hours. It, so that would have been something worth probably putting in, right? Like I mean, it's sort of yeah. one of those things, right, where it's like uh would have been probably good to to put that in, yeah. But I don't know. I'm not yeah. surprised they didn't. Right, but also in as much as this movie and more so the book is based off of, is just McMurtry putting out every rumor he had ever heard about anyone who lived in his town right. uh, into a book. Um, maybe it's best that we don't get all of them. So. Right. Yeah, that's also true. Yeah. Um. The Civil Shepherd nude scene is probably something we should talk about too. Yeah. Uh, background wise, she. <laughs> it's very conflicted because she obviously still likes Peter Bogdanovich and respects him, uh, or at least is is doing so very well to the camera that's in front of her. Um. But. When she talks about trying to get him to sign the contract that they wouldn't use any stills from from that scene for anything else and his refusal to actually sign it uh, does not paint him in the best light, despite the fact that no one seems to be trying to paint him in a bad light. No. It, well, I mean, it's sort of – I think to a certain extent, like, my understanding – like, this is just my I, – I had heard this story forever ago, like, you know. This yeah. is kind of a it's a famous legal proceeding, a famous legal case, like right. Um, yeah. So it's kind of my assumption that like you don't need to paint him in, necessarily in a bad light because like the the facts of the case are essentially known, right? This is like this is some like right. TV like law, like you know the you yeah know, the facts are not in dispute at this point, right? Like and so everybody's I I and you know to be fair. I don't know that like you and I like we're we're now so far removed from it that they're, they're it's gone back into the world of haziness. But I think like by and large, I would assume that they're under the assumption that everybody already has their opinion about Bogdanovich's behavior, right? With regards to this, yeah, probably. Um, I think that might be fair. And, and, uh, and you know, it's like gross, <laughs> like yeah, because uh, it you yeah, know it, it, was... it does not paint him in a good light. But again. Yeah, like everybody's already probably I got think, an opinion on it at this point. 
yeah the most the most interesting thing i learned from from sybil talking about it uh was that she asked each of the adult actresses on on set what she would do or what they would do in her place and they and she reports that they all said that they they trusted bogdanovich to do it right and that and that they would do it um but but like in on the you know the flip side of that is is that like she couldn't really trust him right like that the whole thing is that the still got published it did leak which was like the thing she didn't want to happen right right 100 percent. and and it's a very understandable thing for her to be upset about it i assume at this point we're just supposed to be like kind of taking it from the well we're so far removed from it at this point that like they've mended their fences or whatever right but like yeah you know yeah and and she doesn't she doesn't necessarily blame him for it getting leaked no no playboy published it playboy Playboy, yeah, and I don't know what the timeline of it being published was. Maybe Playboy took their own still from the released film. Um, I, I mean, I, I don't remember either. But my understanding but, it is a leak. Like my understanding was that yeah. it like pre. I thought it was a leak as well, film. but I'm not. I'm not real sure. Yeah. Um. Um. Which is exactly what she was trying to avoid. A- but the problem is, is that like what she probably really needed was a hey we're not going to take any stills of this at all okay cool right <laughs> like, right of course um, and that's that is no doubt what the contract said right right absolutely no stills from this section of the film right and you know from the description he filmed it as it should have been filmed with just him and the cameraman on set right right and so it's like I think it's probably why. a mixed bag for her probably too again I I don't remember anymore the exact details of the case or anything like that yeah. but my first probably a big spag is like boy I sure wish we hadn't done any stills of this right but on the flip yeah. side like no impression that like he did it on purpose or anything like that so right i don't know I, again i have not i i only know the vegas details again, of it because i remember she, hearing about the court yeah. case like forever ago right and again civil shepherd in all of these interviews which seem like they should be willing to point to paint Bagdanovich as as a a bad a warts and all sort of interview at the very least, um, you know she talks about him very fondly and and talks about their relationship right, yeah. very fondly. So, no, there's that. Uh, he is ten years her senior, but whatever. I mean, uh, we've definitely seen. He continued like, not to, to not to like. Yeah. I don't know what I don't know how you would, what you would call this, but like we've definitely seen worse. Uh, yeah. Uh, I wonder when Bogdanovich uh, met Polly Platt, uh, because moving forward, uh, he only dates 20-year-olds, seemingly. So, yeah. Uh, yeah, Polly Platt was his age, unsurprisingly. Um, actually, slightly older, but anyway. Uh The preacher's kid. Mm-hmm. Was there something I missed? Was there any elaboration on the fact that Sam leaves the preacher's kid a thousand bucks? No, there's not. Um, not really. I I'm not clear on. I no, there's not. There's just literally not. It's one of the weirdest yeah. elements of that one. 
I it's got to be a thing from the book, right? Like it's got to be one of those things where like it's in the book and probably the book has slightly more elaboration on it or at least tries to clarify something about it. Um I mean, I I assume it's just that like Sam feels bad at just how intensely bullied the preacher's kid is. Maybe. Um Maybe Sam's leaving him a thousand dollars in the hopes that he will use it to get out of town. Yeah, something to uh, that effect. Get out, or yeah, get just out. escape. But like, we also find out un- that the, un- the preacher's son is a uh, is a pedophile. So yeah, un- <clears throat> yeah. Unfortunately, he might use that to thousand dollars to try and get out of town with a six year old girl. Right. So uh, yeah, uh, not great. Uh, Sam, maybe not the best judge of character sometimes. But no, and there's no implication. I, I don't think it's an implication in the book that he is right. Like Sam is. Right. As flawed as the people yeah. that are younger than him that right. he is interacting with. As everybody with, right? else. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah, that's good. Yeah. Uh, I love the Preacher Kids introduction, though, because the, the English class is just very good. It was a very good class yeah. I've seen. I really liked it. Um, so, yeah. Uh, yeah. I think we could probably pull this one to a close. Yeah. Um, but The Last Picture Show, it's a really fun movie. Uh, glad to have watched it. Thanks, BBS set, for giving me another one I actually yeah, like. Thank- no, that's not true. I, li- I liked A Safe Place. I did. I really I, did. Uh, I, 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 you know, it's worth noting to the audience that, like, I don't know how long ago we watched A Safe Place. <laughs> My brain no longer functions. I do feel like it, it was, was a couple weeks one ago, as our recording years schedule ago. goes. Yeah. Yeah. We've had we've had a couple of very busy weeks, so a lot going on. Um, yeah. Uh, maybe someday Texasville will be in the Criterion Collection, and we can revisit this whole whole thing. No again. fucking thank you. <laughs> M- mainly because I just there's nothing about Texasville that like looked uh, right good. Right. Yeah. I just I could not find Agreed. anything of interest to me in that. It was like oh, okay, yeah. Uh, well, next week we'll finally finish off the BBS box set with the King of Marvel Gardens, uh, directed by Bob Robinson and starring Jack Nicholson and Bruce Dern will return, who we've seen, and and Ellen Bernstein returns, uh, who we just saw fantastically in this movie. Um, so you know, King of Marvel Gardens does have a lot of promise. I think. Despite five easy pieces, uh, Head was super great, and I think Bob Rafelson has the ability to be a really interesting director. So I am looking forward to The King of Mar Regardless just to see how how true that might be. <laughs> Obviously, we've had more behind-the-scenes stuff with him uh, since we watched Head, right. and he's become one of my least favorite people <laughs> to hear talk. But uh, But whatever. We'll see how it goes. Uh, so looking forward to that and looking forward to finally closing the door on the BBS box set. Uh, it's been a real roller coaster, uh, but also just seven film box sets are, you know, we've got, yeah. we've got larger ones in the future, but this is sort of the biggest one we've encountered so far. Uh, and yeah, spending nearly two months on a single set of film. Uh, I mean, we did that with, Berlin and Alexander plots, but that was a different animal. Right, right. Uh, it was I a mean, yes, yeah. Miniseries, not a, nothing. Um, 
One last note on the last picture show. I did love the soundtrack. Yeah, I did I, too. I'm a sucker sucker for Hank Williams. It's good stuff. My my whole family uh, was I like, enjoying like not they did not watch the movie, of course. Yeah. But uh, the the but, retrospective stuff was playing throughout the day today because like fuck it, it's an hour yeah. and forty five minutes of b- right, b- right, bonus right. materials and um, yeah we uh, we we had them we, I they, they everybody liked the music right everybody was enjoying um, that because we get a good amount of good snippets of that throughout the uh, the retrospective stuff as well so it reminded me of one of my favorite records I own is a uh, record called uh, uh, Johnny Cash Sings Hank Williams. And the first side is is Johnny Cash singing Hank Williams stuff. Um, uh, And he's got background singers for the Hank Williams stuff. Uh, And then the background singers stick stick around for the B side, which is uh, Johnny Cash singing some of his originals, uh, including uh, one of the most fantastic renditions of Folsom Prison Blues, because he's got those background singers, which are like three three women doing background vocals. Um, so Johnny Cash sings uh, about you know it's a it's a train song, right? Right. So so every line is punctuated. You know, when I was just a young man, and then the ladies go woo woo over and over again. It's just it's very fun. It's very fun and very weird, and I love that it existed. Uh, and I love that this made me think about it. But anyway, that's all you're here than there. Uh, we've been watching Last Picture Show from 1971 with Peter Bogdanovich. Next week is The King of Marvin Gardens. Thank you so much for listening to Lost in Criterion. I'm, as always, the Adam Glass. With me, as always, John Patrick Oritari Dory. And we'll see you next week. Bye. Bye. This has been Lost in Criterion, hosted by me, Adam Glass. Find me on Twitter at the Adam Glass. My co-host is John Patrick Ovatari Dorgan. You can find him on Twitter at jpatrickdorgan. Big thanks to Jonathan Hape for our theme song. Check him out at jonathanhape.bandcamp.com or hear more from him on any streaming service. Also, thanks to all our Patreon supporters, iTunes reviewers, and Redbubble customers. And hey, thank you for listening.